So here I am in Orlando, Florida, as a brown Pakistani, you know, 26 year old, trying to grow this company, and I'm seven months pregnant. So when you talk about defying the odds, like there was every single blocker against me. But at that point, when I didn't look back, I knew that I, I needed to go and I, I could have it all. I deserve to have it all. And I wanted to have it all. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sunir Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who've made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so you can do it too. You're a real business now, and class is officially in session. If you're listening to this podcast, you either have a business or you want to start a business at some point. And maybe it hasn't happened yet, but someone at some point is going to tell you no. No, you can't. No, you shouldn't. No, no, no. As women, we are constantly told all the reasons we can't do something. Because we're supposed to have babies, because we're not supposed to be as capable, because someone somewhere already did it and did it better. But we're calling bullshit. And today on the very first episode of CEO School, we're going to outline all the reasons you can have it all. We're going to tell you our stories because they're stories of defying odds. And it's the story that we hope you come on this podcast one day to tell us too. Sunira, are you ready to do this? I am so excited, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to CEO School, the podcast. Shannon and I are so excited for this episode today because we can't wait to deep dive not only into our stories, but to really explain the why behind why we've started this podcast and what we felt was really missing in the business world, as well as the air quotes online world. I love that you just used air quotes. <laughs> no, I'm so I'm so so thrilled, Shannon. Let's dive into it. I know that we've really been hyping this episode, this launch uh, of this podcast up uh, for a few months now. We've been working so hard to ensure that we get the right guests on the show for you, and really sharing the stories of women who have defied the odds and made it to what we call the two percent club. So, Shannon, what is the two percent club, and why is this mission so important to us? The 2% Club is the 2% of female founders who make $1 million in revenue, which is actually, when you think about it, not that big of a number. A million dollars in revenue is a big enough company that you can have a full-time staff to support you. And the fact that less than 2% of female founders ever hit that number is a massive problem. That number should be way higher. And we want to help more women get there. There's just so many things that are making it honestly a lot harder for women to build businesses. And we want to break down those barriers, give you the tools, everything that's been passed around in boys clubs for generations and give you the opportunity to really succeed in a way that makes a massive impact, not just on your family, but future generations and the world. I love it. I couldn't agree with that more. And it's one of the reasons why Shannon and I have come together on this. So Fun fact, um, you know, I learned about this statistic actually preparing for a keynote that I was delivering at Icon Live, which is a conference that Shannon hosts every year. And while I was preparing for the keynote, um, I started looking up some statistics to kind of share about, like, you know, successful businesses and what percentage of, of businesses are run by females and what are the success rates, etc. So I start, you know, deep diving into um, into the mystery of Google, um, and I learn, okay, thirty percent of you know businesses in the U.S. are 
are operated by women. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty fair statistic, right? That feels, it could be higher, but okay, I'll take it. 30% of businesses are run by women. And then the next line read that less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And that just completely blew my mind. Like, how is this statistic so incredibly low? And what, like, what, what makes it that this is so unattainable? And then I was looking back and thinking about my story, and I run a very successful company. I've never considered myself anything special. Right. So I didn't, I, I didn't go to, I say, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't go to CEO school. This is something that Shannon and I always say. And I didn't have the right, you know, the support around me or the, um, you know, the, the education or the money to start a business. So what made my business successful that I was able to cross this threshold? And when I came to Icon Live um, and I was presenting uh, to the audience and I asked the women in, you know, so I presented this and I'm like, okay, isn't this absolutely shocking? Everybody obviously agreed to it. Then I asked the women in the audience, I'm like, how many of you guys um, in, over here want to launch and, and have a successful six figure business? What is like, how many of you guys, this is your goal? Every single person raised their hand. Do you remember that, Shannon? Yes. You're, I'm sitting in the back and she... <laughs> scenario goes, put your hands down. You need to dream bigger. And I think that's something that when you were talking to me about the statistic that really stood out to me, it wasn't even that this was the state of the world. It wasn't, nobody was doing anything about it. You know, there's all these, um, clubs, companies, people that are really trying to help other entrepreneurs be successful, which is amazing. And yet when I looked around, I didn't see any other women that looked like me teaching entrepreneurship. I didn't see moms. I didn't see moms being successful to the level that I wanted to be. I didn't see, you know, women in their 20s and 30s killing it with companies. I saw honestly a bunch of men who didn't look like me running these huge companies and what does that say to us as women when you look around and nobody looks like you? Don't even get me started there. Nobody looks like you. I could not agree with that more. And especially as like, I come from an immigrant family. Like, I, I, my background, so I, I can, I guess I can dive a little bit into, into my story a little bit here, but I grew up, my, you know, with immigrant parents, um, obviously entrepreneurship, was it a necessity in our family? It wasn't anything cool. So I never grew up around feeling that entrepreneurship, um, you know, now it's trendy and I feel like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur uh, and it's so attainable. But in the 80s, when my parents immigrated here, it wasn't, it was their only option because they didn't have an education. And so to really have the American dream uh, was really dependent on their own success. And this was a path to their own success where they could control their own destiny. And so- I grew up in a household where my parents had every business under the sun and I worked at every single one of those businesses with my brother and not in a child labor style work capacity. It was really just my, my, my dad was always, um, you know, he wanted to always bring, you know, teach us all of his morals and his principles and wanted for us to have like all the experiences. So he would just always be transparent about everything that was happening. I'd go to the store with him. I'd go to the pizza shop with him. I'd go to the convenience store with him. Um, we've had Mark, like we, we had a marketing company. We had a, um, a nightclub, like I kid you not, it's been every single business and it was, it wasn't always, uh, pretty. And that was something that they all, they were, they worked really, really hard, but it was always this crazy cycle. And something that I always took away is that entrepreneurship was really difficult. 
you always brought your work home and it was always up and down. So it was some months were really, really great and some years were really great. And then we would not have really great years as well. And so for me growing up, I actually wanted the complete opposite. And so I was the first person in my family to graduate college. And that was, you know, my parents really, really wanted uh, to focus uh, to, to have me focus on education because that was the only other outlet besides entrepreneurship. And then, of course, here I end up uh, launching a business because I saw a I was in the industry. So I got a corporate I, I ended up graduating from college. I got a degree in finance and I ended up um, working in a payments company. And I just hated the way that customers were treated. I didn't understand um, why, you know, we weren't transparent about fees or why things were happening a certain way. And I would just continually challenge my peers and I would continually challenge the companies that I work for. I ended up working for three different payment companies. And I was really excited about, you know, about the credit card processing industry. It's not very sexy, but it was growing really, really fast. We as an economy were going more and more cashless and there wasn't a lot of tools and solutions that were solving small business problems. And so I was really excited about solving this problem for small businesses, but nobody would listen. And so I became, as a daughter of a small business owner, I became even more passionate about solving this problem that I always saw my family face um, with their in their businesses was lack of transparency. It wasn't very clear and there wasn't any technology to actually grow their business. It was always taking, taking, taking. And so, you know, one snowstorm, I'm stuck in Texas and snowstorm in Texas. Yes, I, I am. This is real. Dallas has ice storms <laughs> and I get stuck and I'm rerouting my like subscription boxes. And I was obsessed with like, this is pre-subscription economy. And I just loved everything subscription I could get my hands on, whether it was a software product, whether it was a physical product. And that's where the light bulb went off. And I'm like, why isn't subscription being applied in payments? Why isn't there one flat fee? It's really transparent. And the small business owner can have an all-you-can-eat model for payment processing. And then, oh, we're going to provide them awesome tools and technology. And that's how we're going to make our money because we're going to help them grow their business. And they're going to be sticky and they're going to stay with us. And they're going to love the tools that we provide them. This is my favorite part of your story. So you have this genius idea. You have so much experience growing up, you know, watching your parents run nightclubs and convenience stores and marketing companies. You have this great idea. This this is like the golden era. If this was a movie, this is the point where I feel like you would be vision boarding and putting sticky notes all over the wall and coming up with this idea for your own company. But what what did you do next with this idea? So I had, I know why you love this. I actually had no desire to go launch this for myself. Um, I'm laughing because I've told the story obviously to Shannon so many times. And she's just like, how did you not think to do this for yourself? I just didn't. I told you, I did not want to be an entrepreneur. I was really excited about this idea. I really wanted to solve a problem. And honestly, I never thought that I could. Like that was, that was also you know, probably one of my biggest fears is I was 26 years old. I had no money in my bank account. Where am I going to go find Mr. Visa to start a payments company? It's not like I can open up like a cupcake shop down the road. Not that opening up a cupcake shop is any less difficult. It sounds hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but finding Mr. Visa and getting regulations and like I had no idea how to even start a tech. How do I build software? I don't have a technology background. So what I end up doing is I um, I did. It was exactly that brainstorming session. I was stuck for a week. I literally canceled everything I was working on and created the most epic business plan 
I've ever put together. And I took this, I, I put everything together. I'm like, this is going to work and this is how it's going to work. But I created it um, in hopes that I could take it back to my company, uh, the companies that, that, that I was sending my processing business to that I was working for. And I ended up going back and pitching it to my male bosses um, at the time. And I pretty much got laughed out of the room. And I, it wasn't even, it wasn't even feasible. I didn't even, it didn't even, it didn't even have a shot. And the whole premise was that it's so ludicrous and that no one's ever done this before. It's not going to succeed. Why would we give away? Why would we be transparent? This is just the way that it's been done for 30 years. Like this is how it is. And we make a lot of money. Why would we reduce our margins by 40%? And they didn't see the bigger picture. So yes, we would be transparent. Yes, we would not be making as much money. Yes, we'd have to build tools and technology, but it would create a moat, right? Like that would be the secret. That would be that value add so customers wouldn't leave us. And then we would be able to reach so many customers because this model is so scalable. And so it didn't work out. It didn't work out. I feel like this is a very relatable story though. You know, for someone listening, you have this incredible idea in your head and you can see all of the ways that it's going to work and you muster up all of like your courage. This wasn't even to start your own business. It was just to get your bosses on board with your idea. And I mean, they shut basically shut the door in your face. So what did you do? What advice would you give to somebody listening to, you know, why did you decide to go forward with the idea still? Because I was crazy. Um, But no, I really felt so passionate about solving this problem. Like I was so obsessed with the small business payment solution. I can't explain it. I lived, I would think about it in the shower all the time. Like all I thought about was how to help these businesses. And I knew I had a better way. And it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just a pricing model. And I think that's where everybody got hung up was just the pricing model. It was really around creating so much value for them, giving them analytics, like transactions are data. Like that's all it is. It's data. And nobody was doing anything with data. Everyone's collecting all the data. Everyone's taking all the transactions, but they don't know where which customers are loyal, which customers are returning. They don't know what days of the sales are actually better. They don't know if they should open the store early or late or when they need extra staff because the data wasn't doing anything for them. And so for me, I've just been always been this data driven human. I'm a finance major. I'm a super nerd when it comes to numbers and data. And I was like, we have to be doing something with this. So I became really, really passionate about the problem. They didn't see the, they didn't see the vision. And at that moment, I knew that I couldn't go back and work for that company. One, we didn't see not only from a, it's not about my idea. It was just our values, our core values didn't align from a customer standpoint. And for me, the customer was always first. Like that was kind of something I've always been taught um, in just values. Like guests are always really welcome in our home. And, you know, I'm like, we're, you know, we're very hospitable um, it, when it comes to like friends and family and our customers are everything. So you always provide like the best experience to anyone around. And that was not obviously the company's mission. Their company, it was literally a transaction company. It was just to make money. And so when I kind of saw that piece of it, those values didn't align for me. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take this idea. I'm going to go to the next company. So Shan, I literally went to, it was about 12 different processors and banks that I pitched Fat Merchant to. And I got every, no, every single step of the way, every single step of the way. And probably at about the last no, um, I couldn't go anywhere else. It was like the, it was probably like six months in. I was definitely ready to give up. Uh, and 
my family was like, why are you trying to do this with another company? Like what, why is it that you need a partner? Why is it that you can't go do this on your own? And at that point, it was really me just looking myself in the mirror and telling myself that I can and just having that confidence. Honestly, it was a fear that I had. It wasn't, it was a limiting belief that I could be the one to do this. Mm. And I don't know where that comes from, right? Like I think at the end of the day, we as women, we just want to feel, um, you know, competent. We want to, we want to feel safe. We want to feel liked, right? These are all human elements of, and we have this fear of that we're going to show up and no one's going to buy, no one's going to listen, no one's going to care. And that's a huge fear. And I don't know if I'm, I'm able to do it. Am I smart enough? Am I capable enough? Do I, I don't have the experience. And so it's all these limiting beliefs that are, that were actually stopping me. And it took every single no. I was literally, I was my last choice. That's why I ended up taking a bet on me. And I wish, I wish it wasn't that. I wish I had the, I wish the story went, I had the idea and I was like, I'm going to go do this. And next day I launch a company and figure it all out. It's not how it happened. It took a lot of, it took me to go all the way down to the like rock bottom for me to realize that I have to take a bet on myself if I feel like I am my last choice. And at that point, I literally remember looking myself in the mirror and saying that I've got this. Like I, I've literally got this. I can go do this. And I did. And I gave myself a deadline. I had like the next 12 weeks. I'm a huge believer in 90 day sprints. I know uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that um, in many, many episodes. I gave myself 12 weeks and I'm like, I have to go get all of my regulations done. I'm going to go do this by myself. And I did. I met all the deadlines. I got my registration in the nick of time. Literally, uh, March 2014, I got my registration with Visa MasterCard, Discovered American Express. I ended up getting a sponsor bank to back me. And they had, they like, it was literally like a leap of faith. I had to put, um, you know, all I, everything I had in my savings. I had to get, uh, you know, get investment from friends and family to go support like my first year in business to just pay the fines and regulations to like be in business and payments. And that first year, Shan, in six months, we did five million in payments in our first year. I just got chills. I mean, to hear you go from being your last choice to being so clearly capable within not just your overt outward success, but you said, okay, I set a deadline for 12 weeks. And in this 12 weeks, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then you did it. You were accountable to yourself to do those things even before that success started to come. And that to me is just so powerful for people listening that feel like they're not capable. Like you proved to yourself first that you were capable long before the world ever said, yes, this is a good idea. And I think that's really powerful. It really is. It's honestly the only validation sometimes we need. We're honestly, we're all our biggest critics. Like if all of you guys, everyone listening here, we're actually our worst critics. And we're always, we're always discounting ourselves 24 seven, whether that be from our looks, whether that be for how we show up, whether that be for, if we're good enough for business, we're good enough for our families. There's all these limiting beliefs that are constantly, our, our mind is constantly trained to discount ourselves first. Like we're always discounting ourselves and we're always looking at other people as the goal. And I think when you shift the focus from someone else's lane and someone else's view to yours, that's when the magic happens. And you really are, you are the most power, we're the most powerful creatures on the planet. Like there is only the, you know, God has given us, um, 
our minds. And this is like the most powerful thing that we have over any single animal that we have logic and we are able to solve every problem. So what defines, why is my anatomy any different than the successful person's anatomy? It's just will, right? It's just dedication and it's all mind over matter. we know this from athletes. We know this from, um, you know, any successful method, it's really just consistency. It's putting in the time and the hard work and you will get the results, right? Anything physical that we ever do, right? You just have to put in, you just have to put in the time. And I think that, you know, doing something like a, here's this plan that I have and proving to yourself first that you can do this. And then once that, once that goes off that, Hey, (laughs) I'm good enough. Like I feel really good about it. And then you get that momentum and you keep going. And that's exactly what happened for me. So I, you know, got my heads down. I got everything done. And then I did something really unique. I went online, right? Whereas all my competitors were all, you know, I couldn't afford a sales. I couldn't afford a sales team. So that's kind of where the other magic happened was out of, out of scarcity. I didn't have the funds to go hire feet on the street that like field sales is how this product, I was a field sales agent. I had a company car. I would literally drive around. I would go to business plazas, um, and sell payment processing door to door. I was literally a door to door. I used to carry terminals in the back of my trunk. I could not hire people. And so I want to stop you here because this, you're touching on something so powerful. It's that you didn't have the resources, so you got scrappy. You didn't say, I couldn't afford to compete, so I just didn't play. You said, I couldn't afford to play the way they were playing, so I played differently. And I think that's a really interesting piece of the story that I think you and I have in common. We all have tons of resources. You know, you had this thing, but the internet, which is still kind of in its earlier ages, definitely of e-commerce when fat merchants started. And a lot of your peers were probably weren't even looking at it because it was new. It was hard. So we, there's always a, an opportunity. And I think that's something when people say the market's too crowded, everyone's already doing it. It's like, yeah, they're doing it, but they're doing it the old school way. There's always opportunity. This is something that you've taught me too. Like, how are we being fresh? How are we on top of things? There's always a new next opportunity that honestly usually costs less. Absolutely. And it's actually where the creativity flows, right? Being different is good. Right. If you're going to do everything exactly the same as what's happening out there, what makes what's your secret bother? Right. Like what makes it so unique? And so it actually so to round it all up, pretty much I ended up going online and creating I couldn't I didn't have the resources. So I put whatever money I had into digital advertising, into really great brand, into really fun social media. And so like that is where I focused my time for Fat Merchant. And I used every opportunity to get on every stage I could. I was pitching in coffee shops, Shannon. Like it was literally telling Fat Merchant's story as a founder. I was getting people excited about this disruptive new way to accept payments. And it was really grassroots. And so I was pitching at pitch competitions. I won my first pitch competition. I took on a giant check. It was $7,500 of a giant check for a women's business plan competition. And then I applied for the next one and I applied for the next one. And I took home over $200,000 in pitch competition wins. Like I would literally show up, win the competition for the company and take the money. And then I would pump it online and I would hire my next employee, hire my next employee. So I was really, really scrappy. Um, And the first 100 customers, also something that's really important, a lesson for any one of you guys that are starting your business, I personally onboarded 
every single customer. I not only understood the pain point of the customer, I understood how my process was going to work, how my product flow was going to go, what were the gaps that I had from like the full customer journey. And so I was able to experience everything with my customer so that I could really plan for the next thousand customers for the next 10,000 customers. Yes. Something that was really important, not only from a customer journey standpoint, was when I was out pitching and, you know, getting the attention, it was, it started very local and grassroots, but it's also really important to have a big vision. And I think that's something that I had from a very early start was I was thinking at that point, once I bet on myself, that was it. That it was like, it wasn't going to be just this tiny company. It was going to be massive. And when all the competition wins were happening, um, a writer from Fast Company actually called me. I had no idea that I was actually doing a press interview. They were just covering this crazy thing that was happening in Orlando and this woman that was trying to change the credit card industry. And so I take this interview. I have absolutely no experience with dealing with the press. And I pretty much tell it all. And I'm like, here's what's happening. And here's how crazy this industry is. And all of this, like literally called bullshit on every bank ever and talk about how this model is going to be so disruptive. And here's what we're doing. And next morning, front page, fast company, it's a, it's titled meet the woman trying to change the credit card in- industry, introducing fat merchant. And we had no idea that this was going to happen. We had a tiny like literally a tiny office. It was the size of a 11 by 14 rug because that was the rug in our office. It was that tiny. We had three desks in the office, back-to-back Ikea desks and two phones. And I had an intern and one full-time person. So I'm painting the picture for you because literally the next morning we got to the office and I see like the two phones. There's like the little red blinkers of our phone. Like the messages are full. And I pick up the phone and it's literally like, hey, we'd like to sign up for your service. Hey, we'd like to sign up for your service. I try to log on to my computer and our website is down. So our website crashed and our phones are, are literally ringing like off the hook. We've, our messages are overloaded and I have nothing in place. I had no idea this was going to happen. I had no systems built. I was dreaming big, but I didn't have anything in place to actually capture the scale. And it happened a lot faster than I had thought it would. And it truly was the greatest and the worst thing that ever happened to us. It was the worst thing because I probably lost out on the biggest opportunity from a customer acquisition standpoint. We had investors calling us. like It was three weeks of what I call our Shark Tank moment. And we had post-it notes all over the wall. All the startups on our co-working floor were all helping. We had to get phones installed. My entire family was like, everybody flew in, drove in to just pick a, pick a job and a title and be like, okay, here's customer support and here's whatever. And yeah. that is how we were building a plane while flying, literally building a plane while flying. And that was November of 2014. So March of 2014 is when I got my re- registration Um, gave it my all, did not eat, sleep, breathe. Like literally everything was fat merchant. And then November, 2014, the fast company article happened. And from there, everything, um, went, everything was wrong, but at the same time, it was the greatest thing that ever happened because I was, I knew, holy shit, I'm even thinking too small. So at that point, even a million dollar vision was too small. And I'm like, I need to think a billion dollar vision. And so I went and got all the resources. I raised my hand for help. I asked the community for help. I said, I need a CTO. I need technology. 
And that is when the story of Fat Merchant really began. I started building a team. I started raising venture capital. I raised 20 million in venture capital. I started a family while running the business um, and scaling the company. And in five years, we went from 5 million in payments to 5 billion in payments. And now we have 110 team members. We have four offices around the nation. Um, and we are you know, the top three processors in the nation today literally covered in chills to go from, <laughs> you know, I was my last choice to, you know, I was on the cover of Fast Company and the I'm just imagining all of the phones ringing and just like a scene out of a movie, right? And everybody just running to help. And the fact that this is the vision that you had in that Texas snowstorm that got laughed out of the room and you trusted your gut and your instinct and really kept that internal driver to solve this customer problem. You know, your internal driver, never once any of the times you've told me your story, have you said, I just wanted to be a millionaire, you know? And I think that's something about entrepreneurship now that's become so sexy and intriguing and people are doing it for the cars and the Instagram pictures when that's not how you get this kind of success. And so, um, I don't know, just really inspired by that story. I would love to hear, what do you think are the three core things, if you had to pick just three things that got you to where you are today, what would they be? What are the three things that you feel like have really catapulted your success? That is such a good question, Shannon. I've actually never thought about it that way. We're like three, three things that I've done. Okay. So if I had to really think about three things that have really gotten me to the point that I am today, I would say one is I really have always valued team. And so I've never, ever thought that I could ever do it on my own. So that was kind of always that limiting belief that I had. But I also was, I've every place I've ever worked, I've never had, I've never really enjoyed my job. I never walked into the office every day and be like, I just love what I do. Like, I love what I do. And that was something that I, I've, I've always longed for. I, I've never wanted to have my own vision, but I always wanted to be part of a company that had a greater vision and mission than just making money. Like I always wanted to be part of the why. And I really wanted to work with a team that was really exciting and challenging and fun. And I just, I always wanted to be in a fun environment. And so for me, that was always really important. And so when I hired our first team member, I like that was the kind of, I wanted to hire people that I wanted to work with. And so team growth and having that one team mentality was probably one of the biggest drivers of our success where I didn't feel like I had to do everything and I, I wasn't the smartest person in the room. I knew where my what I was good at and where I wasn't. And I filled the gaps really quickly of I didn't have product experience. I needed to bring on a technology per, like expert, right? So I needed to bring on my a CTO. I needed a business partner. I knew I didn't want to do this alone. I'm so glad that I didn't do this alone. And my brother was actually working. He's, he was on his like Ford startup in Silicon Valley, raised tons of venture capital, grew a team to over a thousand employees. And now that company is public. Like he just has incredible scale experience. And I was like, that's exactly what I need. And um, really quickly, you know, brought him in as a partner. So I was really great about sharing my vision, but also rallying a team around a greater mission and vision. So I would say that that is definitely one of the three that yeah. has brought, brought me there. I completely agree with that. And I actually don't know if you're giving yourself quite enough credit here after having worked with you for, um, we've been partners for about six months now. Sunira is a genius at this, at just seeing gaps and recognizing 
who needs to who needs to fit into that space so that the whole team can live up to their fullest potential. So for someone listening right now that is just a solopreneur, right? So they are doing everything themselves. What would you say to somebody who's ready to make that first hire? You know, maybe they're worried they don't have enough cash to pay for a team. They don't even know who to hire, who to find. What would you recommend if you were starting over today from just you with that idea in that Texas snowstorm, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, I think that it's never too early to have a team. And I think there is a million different ways that you can get there. And it's not just dollars. I think that people are also looking for a greater um, mission and to be rallied for. So I think the first thing that you need to do is identify what your core values are as a company and really stick to like this. This is what we are as a company. And here is the why. So the number two actually of that. So one was rallying a team. And the second piece of my success is really having a great, a big why. And I think that all of you listening, if your number one reason for becoming an entrepreneur is because you want to make money, you're not going to be successful. I'll tell you that. I'm not saying that money isn't important. It is actually really important. And and that is a huge driving factor of probably why you're becoming an entrepreneur. It was definitely on my top five things of why I became an entrepreneur, but it wasn't number one. And so I think that you have to really check yourself um, and you have to be solving a problem that you are really, really passionate about. And if you're solving that problem and you've believed so firmly that you are like, you have to be making an impact and whatever that impact is, um, that, that is your why. And I think that once you have an impact statement, a why statement for your business, and it's authentic, you can't just create one for the sake of creating one. If it is truly authentic and you're solving a, a problem, you will get that team to rally around it. And even if you can't pay somebody what their full value is, like I couldn't, I couldn't pay, um, you know, our first team member, the salary that, um, that she deserved, but I gave her equity in exchange for the time. And so we, you can, you can be so creative in how you, um, how you bring on strategic team members. And I think there's a difference between strategic hires as well as hires that are going to take administrative duties off your plate. And something that I do see in women owned businesses, all we try to do is hire people to delete tasks, to take off tasks. We actually never hire to strategically add value for our business. And so if you are the smartest person in your company, you are in the wrong company. So like, I'm going to repeat that. So one plus one should equal three. So you plus whoever you add should add so much strategic value that you are growing exponentially, not just taking away some of the tasks that you do. So really check yourself on that. Yeah. And something you said that really stood out to me there was saying, you know, I offered equity to my first employee, my first hire. And that goes to believing that you were building something that was worth something. (laughs) And I think going into believing that bigger vision and really believing that you are growing a company that is capable of scaling, I think that is the foundation of, you're not just bringing somebody in and saying, well, you know, you can have a percentage of the company. Well, what's the company worth? Well, nothing yet, right? It wasn't that conversation. You're really selling this idea and painting this vision of what it can be. And that's something that I feel like you just do phenomenally well. And I remember when you came in as my partner, you asked, where's like, where's our swag, Shannon? Where's the vision? Where's the, where's the, the fun <laughs> stuff? And I was laughing because we didn't have any of it. We don't have stickers on our laptops. There's no quotes on the walls. I'm like, I don't know. We were just like doing work. And I think that goes back to painting that that vision of what it could be. And that's really the thing that you want somebody to join the team for. Of course, it's not that already. You need help to get there. And going back to, okay, when you 
create those core values and paint that vision, really believe in it. Other people can't believe in it until you do. I couldn't agree with you more. And the last thing, Shan, so the third thing to kind of close out what has made Fat Merchant so successful, I took the time for self-development and like leadership growth and business skill growth. So I didn't go to CEO school, right? Like that is a hundred percent fact. I did get a business degree. I do. And I'm, I'm a finance nerd and I'm great at numbers, but what really helped me scale was getting the right mentors around me, was listening, was learning, was taking the courses, was spending the extra time, was really great time management so that I could squeeze like so much into my day and eliminating, um, it just really good productivity. I think like eliminating everything that didn't move the needle and only focusing on my business that the things that move the needle and then spending the rest of my time on developing myself as a leader. I knew that as we were scaling, things were happening so fast every single month that I have been a CEO since March of 2014, I have hired on a new team member every single month. Right now we have 110 employees. We just hired another 10. Um, Obviously I have a second company CEO school. We've now hired on our fourth team member in the last six months that I've been on board. I'm constantly hiring team and and it is true. It is true. And I really believe in that. I think that we have to put our money where our mouth is. And if we want to expand and grow, we have to invest. And where we invest is really important. You have to invest in yourself first. You have to invest in yourself. You have to level up, right? You have to get to, and you don't have to have all of the knowledge. There are people that you can learn from. So I did a lot of that. I got so many incredible mentors around me. And then I also invested in um, my team because I believed in my vision and we always made it happen. So I was always great about ensuring that revenue came first. So you can have the greatest idea in the world. You can have, you can have the greatest why you can have the best team members, but if you can't execute, you're not going to be successful. There's no such thing as a million dollar idea, only a million dollar execution. That's it. So you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you can't execute against it, it's not worth shit. So that is kind of the, I'm I'm like, preach, preach louder. (laughs) Yes. Again and again, I'll, I'll drop the mic now. That's it. That's the secret. I feel like so helpful. Um, I love everything around. I definitely agree. You're phenomenal at team growth and culture and that core why. And I do think as a leader, something that's really impressed me about you, if I, if I may, um, is just humility. There've been so many times in our friendship and relationship that you've had difficult conversations or I've said something pretty blunt. Um, and you've just always been very, quick to say, I'm sorry. Yes, we'll, we'll change. We'll do this better. I can do that better. And I think that is something that really impressed me knowing that you're running this massive company, you know, have, you know, dealt with all these really big investors who are a lot more important than I am. And to be able to, you know, listen to your team and say, yes, I want that too. And, and yes, I want your, I want your, you, you to feel seen, heard your vision to matter too. And I think it just speaks volumes to you as a uh, as a leader, that you are always listening, not just to your customers, but to your team members, to your partners. And I've seen that in both of your companies. I just think it's really impressive that you're never, you know, never above becoming a better leader. And I think that's something we can all take from Sunny here. No, I appreciate it. And by the way, Sunny is my nickname for um, all my friends and family. And you guys are all welcome to call me Sunny. So Sunny is my nickname. Shannon, you're totally making me blush right now. You are honestly, an incredible partner to work with. And I think that it, it does take that humility, right? So why, I think that 
this is one of the reasons why we as women can be so successful. We are such empathetic. We're, we're, we need to play into our strengths. Yeah, I completely agree. It's your greatest strength, not your greatest weakness. Um, something I want to touch on just to wrap things up here. Sunira, I feel like you are phenomenal about getting people excited about any idea you have. Even just listening to this episode, there have been 10 times I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Has that always been easy for you to get people on board with your ideas? I don't know. I don't, it it hasn't. I mean, I told you, I was told no like 12 times um, before I took a bet on myself. So no, it wasn't easy for me. I actually struggled with confidence my entire life. I went to 10 different schools in 12 years. So I feel like something for me, I think that probably plays into uh, my personality is I'm always, uh, I'm quick to make a friend. And I think that was because of, I moved around a ton. My parents had uh, businesses and then it wouldn't succeed or it succeeded and I would sell it. And that was just kind of my life. And it was like this, I was always moving. And so I feel like every time I showed up to a new school, which was every year, I had to start over. And so I had to be charming and funny. And I, I, I'm a social, I'm a social human. Like I always, I, I'm a, I love people. I actually get my energy from people. I really get my energy from people. And I think that is just part of it. So I think some parts of me, no, it wasn't there. I, c- I couldn't even get anybody to say um, say yes. But I think that once I believe in myself and I'm like, okay, I feel comfortable, then it just naturally flows. And I think the, the, the lesson here for anybody can be a visionary. It's really about being a visionary. And I think for me... Um, I'm going to share something with all of you. So growing up, my my dad um, would always tell me something. I never really understood it. He'd always tell me, Sonny, you have it. And I'm like, Dad, what is it? So like, stop. Like, I have it. I have it. And he'd always say, you have it. He'd always tell this, my brother and I, every single day, you guys have it. You have it. And it was just, it is just, it's a feeling. It's confidence. It's charisma. It's knowing that, like, I'm... I can believe in myself because I can, I have it. And it was so, it's fictitious. It's non-existent. But just having somebody tell me that every single day, I didn't understand it as a child. But, and now he, he actually passed away just eight weeks ago and it's been so heartbreaking for me. Um, obviously you can tell he's a big, was, it's even hard for me to say, was a big part of my life. Um, just that notion of you have it. We all have it. It's that magic inside of us. We all have it. And we don't need somebody to tell us you have it. But sometimes that's what it takes. And so this is what this podcast is about, right? I want to ensure and we want to ensure that all of you that are listening know that you have it too, right? We all have it. It's inside of all of us. Now it's up to us what we do with it. Some people aren't going to do shit with it right? And some people are going to fucking make amazing things happen because they have it. And so we all have it and it's up to us on what we do with it. And I think that all of us deserve an opportunity to have it all. And I think that this is the story, right? Like this is it. Like my whole life, I felt like I was told by other people, not my family. My family was always the most encouraging one. And I listened to everybody else besides like what was home for me until I didn't have a choice. And then even as I was growing the company, so things were going crazy. We were obviously very disruptive and media was loving us. Customers were loving us. Even when I was bringing on investors on board, I got everything going and I wanted to start a family. Like that was something that was really important to me. I was 26 when I started the company. I had Mila um, right before I turned 30. 
like that, that was kind of like the deadline that I want, like that we had as like a couple, not that there is any deadlines for anyone, but it was just enough. This is like the number that I had, like by 30, I wanted my first kid and I was, I wanted to be a mom. And I was told no, even at that step that I was going through, I needed a fundraise for the company. It was our series B funding. I was doing 5 million in, um, in fundraising at that time. And it was a big number, like getting venture capital out of Orlando is, is not easy. Um, you know, shared, I'm a data girl, right? So, um, you know, the statistic is that 75% of venture capital goes to three states, New York, California, and Massachusetts. So those are the three states. The rest of the states are fending for the leftover 25% of venture capital. Now, of that 25%, less than two, like 2.7, so less than 3% of venture capital ever goes to female founders and less than 1% to minority female, to minorities, just minorities, forget female or male. So here I am in Orlando, Florida, as a brown Pakistani, you know, 26 year old trying to grow this company and I'm seven months pregnant. So when you talk about defying the odds, like there was every single blocker against me, but I, I, at that point when I didn't look back, I knew that I, I, I needed to go and I, I could have it all. I deserve to have it all. And I wanted to have it all. And I continued and I raised capital. I got that done. I, I scaled the company even further. We opened up more offices. I had my second baby. I raised another 10 million in venture capital. Again, I was pregnant at this time. And it is, it's like, I, I don't feel like I am, I shouldn't be the unicorn. I shouldn't be in that 1% club or the 2% club. And I think this is one of the biggest drivers for me personally. And I know I'm so excited to tell Shannon's story on the next episode. So definitely stay tuned um, for Shannon's story. And what really brought us together is this intrinsic mission, this, this, this dire need for us to help other women also see that vision that you also have it and that you can get there. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a 1% statistic. It shouldn't be a 2% statistic. It should be a 100% statistic. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Sanira. I know I have chills. I'm so inspired by you for everybody listening at home. I hope you feel feel as uh, powerful as I do right now that you can have it all and you can defy the odds. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Where can everyone follow you online for more like this? Absolutely. So you guys can all follow me online at Sanira Madani. So it's my first name, last name on Instagram. And then you can of course, follow at CEO school. Um, and I'm so excited. It's so weird being like the guest on your own podcast. I know. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know how to, should I be outroing this? Should I be saying goodbye? <laughs> but I'm so excited. You guys, this is just episode one. We just wanted to dive into the why we just wanted to dive into um, one of our stories. So this episode happens. This is like the free flow of it. We actually had no plan tonight. I'm sitting in uh, my office. Um, it is 8pm at night. We I had to kill it. You're I even better today than on Icon Live stage. I'm covered in chills. I am so amazing. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. It's so good. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear Shannon's story because I'm telling you, I was inspired. I started a second company in the midst of COVID uh, because I was so inspired to join Shannon's vision. Um, and it just, it was just magic. It was such magic. And I know all of you guys are curious. So stay tuned for the next episode and I'll see you there and I'll see you guys at CEO school. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We want to invite you to follow CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible free resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building seven and eight figure businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you completely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love listening, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way. See you in the next class. This episode is brought to you by the Icon Method. If you're a service-based entrepreneur, a designer, nutritionist, photographer, educator, and you feel like the only way to make more is to work more, this is for you. The Icon Method is our proven playbook to win back your time with passive income. It stands for ideation, creation, optimization, and niche. Here's the deal. We love running big businesses, but we don't believe your business should run you. And there is a way you can take your years of expertise and experience and turn it into six and seven figure programs that change lives in your sleep. Our Icon alumni are running best-selling online courses, membership sites, and digital downloads across every industry imaginable, and we want to show you how to. If you've ever thought about launching a passive program, or maybe you're just curious what this could look like for you, go right now to ceoschoolpodcast.com slash icon. We have an incredible free guide taking you step-by-step through the whole icon process. This has been completely life-changing for so many women, and we want to invite you to dream bigger and expand your impact with this proven method. Again, that's ceoschoolpodcast.com slash icon.